0: Praise the Lord, glory to Jesus. So good to see you all, and um, I believe the Lord is going to speak to you today, and um, glory to God. How many of you decided that um, your beach body is going to have to be a project for 2022? Okay, it's okay. I'm just praise the Lord. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. Um, Glory to God. So, thank you, Jesus. My uh, beautiful wife is just going to hand me my little timer there because I have a tendency. When I hear the sound of my voice, time stands still. <laughs> um, praise the Lord. Glory to God. So, um, a very special message today, and um, it's, it's already become a two-part series. Um, but it's called, On the Edge of Eternity. And I, I want to start by reading um, a little poem that was written by uh, a British man named C.T. Studd. And um, uh, so I believe he's going to minister. I just ask you to listen and, and let it minister to you as I read it. Two little lines are heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed, Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, twill soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life, twill soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help. Me Lord, with joy to say, only one life twill soon be passed; only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow, Thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing Thee in my daily life. Only one life twill soon be passed; only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for Thee and Thee alone. Bringing thee pleasure on thy throne, only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I'll know. I'll say, 'Twas worth it all.' Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Praise you, Jesus. (laughs) Praise you, Jesus. Praise God. It seems like a paradox to to, to be able to say, I'm happy as I'm dying. But again, if we've lived for Christ and his eternal purposes... Then, like Paul the apostle, we'll be able to say, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. You see, Paul had no regrets as he looked back over his life. I don't want to look back over my life with regret and say, Lord, I wish I didn't waste my life watching box sets or binging on Netflix or Amazon or whatever else. Uh, I don't want to look back on my life with regret. I want to say, Lord, I gave it my best. I gave you my best, I held nothing back. And you know, this, this poem was written by C.T. Studd, who was a famous British cricket player uh, who got saved, and he was a member of the Cambridge Seven, you know, seven godly men who set their hearts to serve the Lord. He, he gave away a large inheritance from his father in order to answer the call to be a missionary in India, China, and Africa. And, you know, the words of that poem still resonate in our hearts today. It's probably uh, somewhere in the region of 100 years ago that that was written. Have you ever taken a moment to consider that life literally passes in a moment? You know, whether you're 15 or 30 or 45 or 70, or like in this morning service, there's people in their 80s. Older people seem to get up earlier. Uh, It's generally younger people here today. But irrespective of what stage of life you've arrived at look back over your life and it just seems like it has passed in a moment I mean it just seems like a moment ago that I was in my grandmother's house watching the famous five and I was so happy because I was five and then I was a bit upset when I turned six because I felt it just didn't have the same you know Everybody had big hair and they had the little dog and it was it was great. But you know, it seems like yesterday and yet that was 43 years ago. And and it just it just passes in a flash. And 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 so when you consider eternity, we look at our lives and how life passes in a moment. You know, life is a precious gift, and a bit like a beautiful bunch of flowers that somebody gives to you. It's, it's beautiful, but it only has a limited time before it, it perishes and withers and, and, and fails. You know, like I said, eternity is something that it resonates in our heart, because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in our hearts. And so, irrespective of whether somebody claims to be religious or not, whether they're agnostic, atheist, etc., all of us have an understanding of eternity. Sometimes it grips us, maybe at Christmas or New Year's, when we realize we're a year older, or maybe standing at the grave of a loved one, and, and we contemplate what is beyond this life, and something in the inside of us tells us that there, there is a life beyond this one. I remember as a little uh, 12 or 13 year old kid, you know, I used to love climbing all, uh, the, the mountains around Killarney, the hometown in, in, in Kerry where I'm from, the beautiful mountains. But I remember one, one day in the winter when all my friends were still in around town as teenagers chasing women, sitting down in cafes. I, I, I was always just going out there in the mountains on my own. I just loved going up, up high. And you could just see for, for miles and miles... And I remember one, one winter, I, was, I wasn't saved, I was a kid, but I was about maybe 13, 14 years of age. I'm standing on top of this mountain overlooking, you could see for probably, you know, 40, 50 miles each way. And, and I remember saying to myself, looking at this, this beautiful vista of, of, of mountains and lakes and all of this beautiful scenery. And I said to myself, there has to be a God. This did not just happen. And you see, even then, you know, I believe God was leading me. And, and you know, God will speak to you. He, even through the creation, Romans 1 says that God, you know, is speaking to mankind, telling us there is a God, that this didn't just happen. And um, this idea that everything came from nothing is utterly ridiculous. And, and so it's important for us to understand that there is a design. But when you see design, as you can, like I said, you study physics, chemistry, biology, you know, you see design. And and therefore, when you see design, you know there must be a designer. When you look at a beautiful vista like I was looking at in that moment, and you see art, you must also acknowledge that when you see art, there must be an artist. What kind of an idiot would look at a beautiful painting in the National Gallery and say that just happened? It didn't. When you see order, you must understand that there has to be somebody who put things in order. That that camera didn't just end up there. It didn't fall from the sky. It was put there strategically, as with that camera there and that camera there, you know, so when you see order, there must be someone who put those things in order, like I said, you study space, the universe, you know, the the planet, you you study your own, uh, the the human body, etc., you see order, I mean, gravity, etc., all of these things are declaring to mankind that there is a God, and this God dwells in eternity and this God we will one day stand before him and so it's such a sobering thing to consider eternity Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 and it says he has made everything beautiful in its time, I love the earlier part of the chapter, God gives a time to, to weep, a time to laugh, a time to um, uh, you know, speak, a time to be silent, etc. But then he sums it up and says, he's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, and then it goes beyond time. It goes beyond, you know, the the realm of dealing with time itself. And it says, and it steps, you know what's beyond time? Eternity. And it says, he has set eternity in men's hearts. So even those who deny or reject God cannot escape this sense of the eternal. And so, again, it's important for us to understand that the very word eternity resonates in our hearts. Mankind yearns for and yet is terrified by eternity. We love and we loathe it at the same time. I mean, we live in a world where literally everything eventually perishes. You you build the most beautiful building and it eventually crumbles into dust. You know, recently we, we bought a, a, a new car because our kids were getting bigger. We needed something bigger. It's wonderful. It's lovely. I brought it off, bought it off my brother. But, you know, just yesterday we were there and Joanna was doing her little thing. She had a, a cloth and she is wiping away the dust. And it just struck me, you know, that that car could have been the most expensive, you know, Bugatti or Rolls Royce or Porsche. It doesn't matter what it is. You will have dust in that car. And it's a testimony to us. You can have the most beautiful house, a mansion, you know, and, and yet you will have to dust that thing. And I, I, it's a testament to us, um, you know, that, that everything in this world perishes. It's not perfect. It might look perfect when you get it, but after a while, that thing starts to perish. And so in the same way, it's, I believe God's speaking to us. Because, like I said, eternity, we love it, and yet we loathe it. Because uh, we live in a world where everything perishes, including people. I mean, it's heartbreaking for us to see our, our loved ones. You know, to grow old and frail and eventually die. Any of us that have lost uh, loved ones a number of years ago, my, my dad died. And it's, it's, it was so difficult to see my dad, you know, to somebody who was so strong and, and, and physical and, and, and uh, you know, uh, full of life. To, to, for, to see him grow old and frail and, and, and eventually take his final breath. And in some ways, when you look at life, it seems like a cruel joke. If that is how it ends... But that's not how it ends. It's important for us to understand that. But there is something on the inside of us that deeply resents the fact that we are growing older. And yet, in the natural, we seem utterly helpless in the face of the relentless march of time. You know, I laugh when I, I see my kids and they look at me like I'm so uncool. And I, I look back and it just seems like yesterday that I was their age and I was looking at my dad thinking he was so uncool. And then, you know, after a while you start to realize your dad is not smarter than you thought he was. And, um, but, but when you think about, the, it's, it's like this circle of life is constantly turning that, you know, that you, those to, who today are, are, are young and, and free and attractive and beautiful, they grow older and eventually they, became the, they become the older people, and there's a new generation, and, and, and you know, the circle of life is constantly turning. And have you ever felt like I wish I could press pause? <laughs> you know, and, and so none of us want to grow older, and yet we resent the fact that we are. You see, as mortal beings, we resent the fact that we will grow old and die. You know mortal literally means uh, death doomed um, And so this is why we yearn for eternal youth. And that's why we love heroes. That's why people love, you know uh, Marvel movies and all these we you know people love heroes even if these superheroes who defy death and who who uh, You know defy gravity and cheat death and you know save whole planets from destruction um, aren't real They're just figures of Hollywood's imagination you know you you look at these uh, amazing people uh, and all that they can do on the screen and yet you look at their personal lives and they're a complete mess they can't keep their own lives in order and yet you know people are looking at them like they're these superheroes but this is the thing we desperately long for heroes amen because we want those who can conquer the limitations of of time and and space and mortality and that's why we mourn the passing of, of celebrities. You know, these people, you've never met them. You didn't know them. They didn't know you. They didn't care you existed. And yet there's something in you sad to see those people, um, you know, uh, uh, die. But, you know, the question is, are you mourning for them? Or are you really mourning for yourself? Because when you see these these. Often irrational um, outpourings of of grief and sadness. Um, I remember, I think it was Lemmy from Motorhead, all these people just so broken, and then this person, and then, oh, a third person in a year, this is just terrible. And, And I'm like, well, what do you think was going to happen? This is how it ends, whether you like it or not. You know, we are mortal beings, and even those who are celebrated, even those who are successful, even those who reach the very pinnacles of the realms in which they function, ultimately, eventually will succumb to death because they are mortal. But what I want to get to this morning is this. This sense of grief that we feel at the passing of others, I believe is simply a reflection of our own frustration at the fact that we are growing older and that the time will come when we too die. And, and that's why, like I said, the death of, of, of these people that, that, like I said, brings such public outpourings of grief, I believe it's because their death is a shot across the bow of our lives, warning us that our turn is coming. That's why John Donne said, in, uh, uh, do not send to know for whom the bell tolls. Behold, it tolleth for thee. You know, that was you know, written in a time when somebody would die. They would ring the bell in the church to signify, you know, the death of that person or the burial of that person. And so he, he said, don't go and try and find out who it is who died. That bell is tolling for you. That bell is tolling to signify the fact that you have but a limited time. Whether you live to be 120 in the light of eternity, what is that? It's not even the blinking of an eye. And so, I believe there's a sobriety in this message, and I ask you to just open your heart. Because like I said, mortal means death doomed. So every one of us today have something in common, irrespective of how many letters we have after our name, or how much money we have in our bank, or how big our house is, or how big the shiny little trophies are in our cases at home. We all have one thing in common, and that is we are doomed. Some of you say, I'm depressed, Pastor John, I'm sorry I came to church. (laughs) No, we are mortal, we are doomed to death. And therefore, it's so important that we look at this issue and, and that we consider eternity. Because it is important, because that is where we're all going. Death, it is inescapable. Paul cried out in Romans 7, verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The NIV, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? The new living, oh, what a miserable person I am, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And this is the tragedy that life ultimately terminates in death. You know, it seems, like I said, like a cruel joke. You know, the powerful, the celebrated, the beautiful, even the genius, none can avoid this dread foe. They all go the same way. Amen? And so, therefore, you know, I I, I, I loved reading John Wesley. And I was just so struck, struck with how this mighty man of God, who was so mightily used by him, at one time was afraid to die. He was devoutly religious, he was praying, he was fasting, he was uh, studying the scriptures, but he wasn't saved, and he knew it. He sincerely taught that you were saved by baptism, and by ritual, by right living, Um, but again, sincerity is no evidence of biblical truth. You can be sincerely right, as well as sincerely wrong, and back then, John Wesley was sincerely deceived, as are many other people. Tragically, I believe many religious people go to hell for eternity because they trust in their own religion. They trust in their own goodness. They trust in their own works. And the Bible never said that you can save yourself. Jesus would never have come if there was something you could do to save yourself. But he came as testament to the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are good enough. Hallelujah. And so, anyway, John Wesley was terrified. On the way home from Georgia in the USA, where he had gone to convert the Indians, he faced a great storm, and he discovered to his horror that he couldn't face death without fear. He wrote this in his journal. I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who will convert me? Who? What is it that will deliver me from this evil heart of unbelief? I have a fair summer religion. I can talk well, nay, and believe myself while no danger is near. But let death look me in the face and my spirit is troubled. And here we see, you know, the the, the crux of, of the issue is that man by himself cannot face death. Even though we will face death. None of us by ourselves are able to um, face eternity without Christ. Jesus said this in Mark 8:37. And for what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but loses his soul? Do you know that eternity is calling? Approximately 150,000 people every day answer the call. And tragically, many of them were not expecting nor prepared for that call when it came. But their time came nonetheless. You know, William Penn said this, For death is no more than a turning of us over from time to eternity. And whether we like it or not, every one of us at some stage will be turned over from the realm of time. And we will step into the realm of eternity. You know there's a saying that time and tide wait for no man and neither does eternity and you know that so today i just ask you um this morning <laughs> this morning i didn't get beyond the the introduction and um so hopefully we'll get as far as that today thank you but um today i want us to take a journey and so over the next two weeks We're going to take a journey of sorts. And for some of you, it's going to be a reminder of what you already know is vitally important. But for others of you, it may be a warning. A warning of what awaits all who die without Christ. Because don't be deceived. If you live without Christ, you will die without Christ. I think as the church, we have done a disservice to people by summarizing the gospel is simply say a little prayer and that's it you're sorted yes it's wonderful to receive Christ as your savior but we must also live this life jesus spoke about the narrow path and i I, I really believe there's a sobriety to this what the spirit of god is saying to us in this day jesus christ is coming back for a church that is ready A church without spot and without wrinkle. Amen? So, again, I I think it's important that we don't just talk about Jesus as Savior, but we talk about him as Lord. It's a package deal. Amen? So, anyway, the most important question you can answer today is, am I ready for eternity? Am I saved? Because, truly, you are on the very edge of eternity and every day, men and women pass into eternity. And, and you know, thankfully, some go to heaven. But tragically, many go to hell. And I say tragically because, you know, I, I, I truly believe it was preventable. You know, the Bible says in Second Peter 3, 8 to 10, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Repentance. God doesn't want anybody to be lost, and yet we know there are many who will be lost because there are many who die, you know, trusting in other gods and other religions. Many, like I said, who embrace uh, atheism and all sorts of other philosophies. Many who reject Christ. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody goes to the Father but by me. And even within the, 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 the realm of Christianity in a general sense, there are many who die trusting in statues, Trusting in their goodness, trusting in the fact that their friends or family will pray for them or pay for them to get out of a a, a place of of, um, containment and and get to heaven eventually. You know, getting to heaven by installments. This is not a biblical concept. It's not in line with what the scriptures teach. And so again, I, I, I think this is so important for us to grasp because eternity is only a breath away. And that being so, are you ready for eternity? Are you ready to meet your maker? You know, the Bible says in the book of Amos, prepare to meet your God. Are you prepared to stand before God? You might say, but pastor, I'm young. I will deal with issues of death and eternity when I'm older. I believe that's a major mistake. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 talks about this. And it says, you know, uh, serve the Lord when you are young, not when you're old. Amen? Amen. And um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Before the difficult days come. And the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. So here the Bible talks about, you know, people getting to the point where they're just so old and so weary of life. That they're, you know, longing for the next one. But it says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. (coughs) When you are young. Verse 6. And it says, for man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go through the streets. And so here we have this picture of, like I said, I come from Kerry, where, you know, there's a tradition of, you know, when the coffin is... Is put in the hearse. You know, the the mourners will walk after the hearse, and many times they'll walk through the main street of the town. People will close the doors, pull down the blinds in the shops, and stand out there and respectfully, you know, as as the uh, funeral um, uh, procession uh, goes by. But the Bible here says that long before they put you in your best suit, or long before they put you into that box, you've already gone to your eternal home. It says, "Man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go through the streets." And so it's this understanding that you've already gone to your eternal home. Where you go you will be forever and ever and ever. I think it was the great American evangelist D.L. Moody once said if I can get a person to think of eternity for five minutes, I can get that person saved. Because there is nothing more terrifying than the thought of you going somewhere forever and ever and ever and ever. You better be sure you're going to the right place. Man goes his eternal home and the mourners go through the streets it says serve God now while you are young and free and don't put it off until tomorrow you know make peace with God now because no one is guaranteed tomorrow and for those who say um I won't serve Christ today today no you may not want to serve him tomorrow Because to say, I'll repent when I'm older, how can you tell if you will have that long? And how can you tell that you will want to repent tomorrow if you don't want to repent today? To repent simply means to turn. And some of you gathered here today, you are going in the wrong direction. You know it, God knows it, and the devil knows it. It's time to turn. Because you do not know if you have tomorrow. I'm not trying to put fear in anybody. I'm just dealing with reality. Because you may resist the spirit one time too many. To the point whereby you become hardened in your sin and deaf to the voice of the spirit of God. You know, Hosea chapter 4 talks about this. It says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. What a terrible place that is where the Spirit of God says, you know what, you want that sin so much? You want that porn so much? You want that alcohol or that drug so much? Take it. And he steps back from your life. That is a terrible place to be where the Spirit of God is no longer dealing with you. Your decision to say no today may end up defining your life. And determining your eternal fate. Reiner Bonnke, the great, uh, great German evangelist, said this the border to eternity is never ahead of us. It runs parallel to life and can be crossed over at any moment by old or young. I remember back, I think it was 1992, Reiner Bonnke was here preaching. My, my childhood hero, I guess you could say, from when I was first saved. But he was here preaching, and I was, I was sitting over there as a young man. I never in my wildest dreams imagined I would be speaking in the very same place almost 30 years later. But you know, we serve a God of miracles. We serve a God who causes dreams to come to pass. And I thank God for his life. But he said something very profound. Turned, the border to turn to isn't ahead of us. It's beside us. And the time comes when you step from one to the other. You know, like I said, he was a mighty man of God. He faithfully preached the gospel all around the world. He was given a vision of a blood-washed Africa at only eight years of age. Any brothers or sisters from Africa today? Come on. What's happened to you? Don't be so quiet. Glory to Jesus. I love you guys. But you know what? He had a vision. Of a blood washed Africa, led millions to Christ. And, you know, some of you may be the fruits of his life today, but as anointed and as appointed as he was, he ran his race and he stepped into eternity. And, and this is the sobering thing how quickly we pass from present to past, from time to eternity. Like I said, I'm not trying to put fear on anybody. I'm simply reminding you that eternity is literally just a breath away. I remember one time I was sharing with a guy. He was fixing my roof. And I was sharing the gospel with him. And he said... He at one time had worked on, a, on a, a fishing vessel off the coast of Donegal, and he said there was a young man on that ship, and they were out deep at sea, and this, was his, this kid, he was only 17 or 18 years of age, it was his first time out, and uh, he, left. he said, I left this kid, I went down to check if the food was ready, I went down into the kitchen, it was ready, I went up to tell him, by the time I went up, he pointed at the wall, he said he was as white as that wall, he was dead, because You know, one of these huge ropes had had wrapped around his leg. And sometimes when you would hit a wave, the ship would pull and it just severed his leg. He bled to death in under a minute. That kid was dead. He was in eternity before he even realized it. And this is the sobering thing. Like I said, eternity is just a breath away. Ecclesiastes 12.7 in the Contemporary English says, So our bodies return to the earth and the life-giving breath returns to God. The breath that God gave to us when we were born, returns to him and we return to dust. So again, we live on the very edge of eternity and one day sooner or later, we cross over Our stumble over. This is the tragedy, many people stumble into eternity and realize too late, just like the rich man here in the book of Luke chapter 16, we're gonna read it. He discovered too late, he wasn't ready for eternity. He wasn't prepared. I'm sure as a rich man, he was prepared for all sorts of eventualities. But he wasn't prepared for eternity. And Jesus here reads in Luke 16 and verse 19, there was a certain rich man. This isn't a parable, this is a true story, I believe. Because Jesus in the parable would say, such and such is like such and such. Here he says there was a certain man. Jesus is being specific. I don't know how he knew, but he knew uh, this man. He said there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in hell, he lifted up his eyes. And that should strike terror in the heart of every agnostic and atheist. Because where they place a full stop or a period, God places a comma. And he says, and the rich man died and the rich man died and being in hell. You see, you continue your existence You're already an eternal being. Jesus said, what's the prophet man to gain the whole world? Lose his soul. Your soul is eternal. And you will spend eternity somewhere. And here we see that the rich man died. And, you know, he, he didn't cease to exist. He didn't enter into nothingness as some people tried to claim. Rather, it says he lifted up his eyes in hell. What a terrible realization it was that everything he believed was a lie. And that he was not ready for eternity. How many people, when they pass into eternity, sincerely believing in some uh, idol or some false God or believing that there is nothing, you know, can you imagine the shock and the horror that grips them in eternity when they recognize and realize that everything they believed was a lie and that it's too late? I know some people can't take me. They, they, they feel I'm, I'm too, I'm too, oh, you're too much, Pastor. Listen eternity. When you've been given a glimpse of eternity, you can never be lukewarm again. You can never be half-hearted. You know, like I said, I, I tremble when I think of the responsibility I've been given as a pastor to preach the gospel and to influence eternal souls. I don't want anybody in eternity pointing his finger or her finger at me and say, Pastor John, why didn't you preach the truth? I don't say what I say because I want to offend anybody. But I recognize what is at stake. And being in torments in hell. Hell is a place of torment. There is no party in hell. Being in torment. This man was in torment. 2,000 years ago, he was in torment. He is still in torment there today. Why? Because it's his eternal home. And he said, send Lazarus. They may dip the tip of his finger in water. That I may cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. The Bible says in the book of Mark, it says, their worm died not and their flame is not quenched. Hell is a place of torment. It's a place, uh, the book of Job talks about it being a place of Darkness. A place of regret, a place of sorrow, a place of pain, a place of consciousness. This man was conscious and he even recognized people from his life and therefore he had memory, he had awareness of himself. And Abram said, we, we can't do that. Some people say, oh, he was in hell because he was rich. Lazarus was in heaven because he was poor. That's not necessarily the case because, again, we don't get to heaven by our virtues or, 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 or you know, by any challenges we faced. You know, Abraham, yes, he was a rich man, but it, so was Abraham. Abraham was a very rich man, you read the Bible. And so, again, I believe it's because he was saying no. And he said, uh, so will you send your uh, son, Lazarus, to my brother's? And um, so he he got that revelation, the importance of being a soul winner. The first thing that gripped him after that, realizing he was there for eternity, he said, go warn others that they don't go to this place of torment. He said, go to my brothers. And Abraham said, they have uh, Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them so here Moses or Abraham directs this man to the word of God the word of God is the answer the word of God is the signpost it will show you the way to eternal life and he said no father Abraham you see the reason why he was in hell he he, he, in eternity he was saying no to God but in his life he had said no to God you see if you say no to Jesus it doesn't matter how virtuous you are what you accomplish What notoriety you attain. It doesn't matter if you, like I said, attain the highest, uh, you know, achievements and awards this world has to offer. You will split hell wide open if you do not receive Jesus as your Savior. No, Father Abraham, don't say no to the Spirit of God. There's some of you here today, and the Spirit of God has been dealing uh, with you about something. Maybe it's some sin in your life, or maybe it's unforgiveness, or some area of darkness, or some, some secret sin that you still love. You need to deal with that. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, you need to repent of it and move on from it in the name of Jesus. Pastor Randy Alcorn said this before I go The rich man, like I said, had all the trappings of wealth, power, and privilege, but he didn't know he was on the edge of eternity. Randy Alcorn said this, Pastor Randy Alcorn. He who lays up treasures on earth spends his life backing away from his treasures. To him, death is loss. He who lays up treasures looks forward to eternity. He's moving daily towards his treasures. To him, death is gain. He who spends his life moving towards his treasures has reason to rejoice. Are you despairing or rejoicing? Jesus put it this way in Matthew six nineteen. Do not store up for your treasures for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also you see jesus was warning us about living for this life only and uh, like i said none of us are beyond you know being being tempted in that area but jesus warned us about just living for that alone we must live for him because as i said at the beginning this life will soon be passed only one life it will soon be passed you know i believe he was telling us to live godly lives that are driven by eternity and not by temporal concerns now that doesn't mean that temporal things are unimportant of course, we need to work and pay our bills and serve our families and, and love our kids and, you know, be good neighbors and be good citizens. But there's an even higher priority that Christ spoke of, and that is loving and serving our God. Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. Jesus said this. He said, um, Jesus answered, said, the first of all the commandments is, he are Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, putting God first doesn't mean putting our families last. But we can't truly love our families. We can't truly love those around us unless, you know, at least to the degree that they desire and they need, unless we first love God. Because you can't give God what you don't, you can't give others what you don't have. The Bible says God is love. And so in the same way, when we're connected to God, we're connected to love. And that's why, again, if you neglect your prayer life, you're going to find your relationships are suffering as well because you're going to be acting selfishly. You're not going to be, you're not going to be able to release that love in your home, in your marriage, on your kids, in your, in your, in your work, etc. So again, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. But you know, the truth is this, we will all eventually leave this life. Amen? Whether we like it or not, some of us sooner, some of us later, either way, it simply comes down to a matter of divine scheduling. We're here for a time, and then we will leave. But this is the thing, you know, death is an appointment that none of us can evade, avoid, or reschedule. We can't cancel it. The time will come we leave this life. Hebrews nine twenty-seven: as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment Therefore, you will, the reincarnation is not biblical. The Bible says nothing of it. It's appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. And we see that there is such a thing as eternal judgment. Like I said, you can't name drop or lie your way out of this. You know, your time will come. Your time to die will come irrespective of your ability or your virtue. You know, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 talks about eternal judgments as one of the elementary teachings of Christ. And this is why, you know, I appreciate it It may not be, you know, stand up and wave your hanky kind of preaching, but it needs to be preached eternity needs to be preached it is so important and one of the reasons why you see so much foolishness within the churches is there isn't enough preaching on eternity and therefore you have people living in all sorts of sin calling themselves christians therefore leaving the elementary therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of christ you know that in america elementary is for little kids little babies Here the Bible says that we need to go beyond the elementary uh, principles of Christ. But here he lists them. These are some of the elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. What was the first thing Jesus said? Mark 1, repent and believe the gospel. End of faith towards God, yes, absolutely, Hebrews 11, we need to be living by faith, of the doctrine of baptisms, next Sunday after service, we're all going out and going to dunk those who need to be baptized, glory to God, it's always a wonderful day, amen, bring a picnic and we're going to have a great time, oh yeah, see there you go, don't listen to me, anything to do with detail, talk to Pastor Joanna, (laughs) the 4th of July, yes, freedom day, And it says, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands. It's biblical to lay hands on those who are sick. Uh, It says of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Here the Bible talks about eternal judgment. Eternal means forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It literally means without end. And the idea of without end is almost as difficult for us to grasp as... The idea of without beginning. You know, God is without beginning. I remember as a little boy, a little five-year-old kid thinking, trying to work out, you know, who made God? Where did he come from? You know, it it was something that my, my finite mind really struggled to grasp, the fact that God had no beginning. And yet here the Bible talks about that there will be no ending. Where you go to, you will be forever. You will be there for eternity. And here the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, It speaks of the judgment seat of Christ. And it's one of the most um, terrifying scriptures, I believe, in the whole Bible, at least for those who die without Christ. And it says, um, uh, Revelation 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat in it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great. Doesn't matter how rich you are, you're going to stand before God. It says, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works of the things that are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, everyone, according to these works. Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Irrespective of how many letters are after your name, or what you've accomplished, or how many good things you have done, the Bible says, if your name is not written in that book, you'll be cast into the lake of fire. And that is such a sobering thing for us to consider. You know, John chapter 5 talks about how God has committed all judgment to be carried out by Jesus. For if the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. You know why? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the judge that you will stand before. And this is why I want you to stand to your feet today. I appreciate there's been a tremendous sobriety to this message. But there is nothing more sobering to consider than eternity. You see, you have an eternal soul. And Jesus said, what does it profit a man? to gain the whole world, and to lose his own soul. You see, Jesus Christ is coming. Jesus is coming, and as the church, we must be ready. You know, I was reading this last night in my bed. Psalm 96, and verse 13. For he is coming, he is coming to judge the world. It says, he will judge the world with righteousness, and the peoples with his truth. You see, the first time he came, to save. The second time he is coming to judge. The Bible says. He has eyes like a flame of fire. And again it's repeated in Psalm 98. In verse 9. For He's coming to judge the earth. Here two times God tells us. And in a way he warns us. He is coming to judge the world with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. For chapter 96, Psalm 96, he will judge the peoples with truth. And here in Psalm 98, he will judge the world with equity. You see, God is a just judge. Yes, God is love. And it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. He will receive you. But know this. God is love, but God is also just. He will not overlook sin. We can't be playing games with God as many people even in the church do. Playtime is over. If you're going to live for Jesus, then live for Him. But don't be playing the games that some people do. Praising the Lord on Sunday and you're hooring and touring on a Monday. He's coming to judge the earth. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity. Jesus loves you. He proved his love for you by sending. God proved his love by sending his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to ask you this question. Are you ready for eternity? Do you know Jesus as your Lord? Do you have peace with God? The Bible says, therefore, having peace with God, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God, sure, Lord Jesus Christ. People talk about making peace with God. You don't make peace. He made peace. He made peace through the blood of the cross. But you must respond and say yes to Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you this question. Do you have that assurance that you are ready to stand before God? Are you ready for eternity? Because eternity is literally just a breath away. So I just want you to be still for a moment and contemplate eternity. Forever. Forever. Are you ready? Are you prepared for eternity? But I'm a good person, Pastor John. No, you're not. None of us are good. All of us have fallen short. It's like a little kid trying to go on a ride in a playground. And they're this high, and the the wooden cutout of the person is this high. Well, you know, when it comes to us and God's standard, His standard is so beyond anything we could ever attain or accomplish. Yes, God is love, but God is also just. And a good judge will give justice. And in eternity, if we die without Christ, we will face justice without mercy. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Do not put off till tomorrow what you need to do today. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to lift your hand up high and I'm going to pray for you today. Many people responded this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord, just put your hand up high and I'm going to pray for you today. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and you know you're not ready for eternity, I want you to put your hand up high and I'm going to pray for you. Praise you Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to move on. We're going to finish, but again, don't let pride stop you. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, this is your moment. Today is the day of salvation. Put your hand up high if you need to receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Okay. I want to just put it out wider if there's anybody here and you know you've been away from God you've been in sin there's some things you need to deal with today and I'm not looking to embarrass anybody but you know what if you've been backslidden you've been far from God today you want to come back to him I want you to lift your hand up you know amen I see those hands anybody else today you want to recommit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ just put your hand up high Today is about turning. Today is about preparing. Amen. I see those hands. Praise you, Jesus. If you put your hand up, could you just come down here to the front, and we're just going to pray over you. This isn't about embarrassment. This is about a new beginning. Amen. Could you just give them an encouragement as they come? Amen. Today is about change. Come on. Praise the Lord. Today is about change.